Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. John is seeing, because when John was writing this, there's no temple. The temple had been destroyed. Rome came in and burned that thing down. And so John, in looking, and he sees, and that you know he was given this measuring rod, and it's like, okay, start measuring the temple, but leave out the court uh, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. It says they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, or for three and a half years. It's said that the temple symbolizes God's enduring presence and protection. Even amidst the tribulations, the temple stands as a beacon of hope. The prophetic ministry within the temple's bounds reminds us of the call to faithfulness, hinting at the ultimate victory over evil and God's steadfastness in challenging times. In today's message, Pastor James teaches us the importance of the temple and how it relates to prophecy. Stay tuned to learn more about the temple and what it all means. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Revelation 11 and 12, we're at the midpoint of the tribulation, okay, the seven-year tribulation. So we last left verse or chapter 10, the very end of that, John was given this little bitty book that he ate, and the, you know, he was told it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but once it hits your stomach, it's going to be bitter, okay? And a lot of times, I mean, we, we were able to liken that to the Word of God. Sometimes it's, it's sweet on the tongue. And then there's truths, there's aspects, there's elements to scripture that is kind of ha- can upset the stomach, so to speak, right? So he just encountered that. And now he's given this reed like a measuring rod, which is usually about 10 feet tall, 10 feet long. And he's told to measure the, the temple of God. Here's what's fascinating. Currently, right now, there is no temple. There is no temple at all. So this means a temple must have been constructed during this time period. So more than likely during these first three and a half years, a temple is built. And how do you build a temple when on the very, you know, temple mount, there's a giant dome of the rock that is occupying space up there? I've been up there um, a handful of times. It's very difficult to get on the temple mount um, unless you're a Muslim. but how is this all going to work out and all this good stuff? Well, they've, they've been doing a lot of research. There's been a lot of uh, digging and excavating underneath and everything. And, um, and actually, some guys have done some research. They've known this for quite a while now, it seems like. But uh, where the Dome of the Rock is is not exactly where the, um, the Holy of Holies would be located on the, on the Temple Mount, all right? Uh, in fact, the last time I was there, uh, the Dome of the Rock is like right over here, but just 150 some odd feet or, I mean, I can't remember exactly how far. There's this little gazebo that's set up on the, the Temple Mount. And our tour guide was like, hey, let's come over here. Let's all stand around this. And she said, this right below us is where we, where, uh, and they've been doing a lot of digging. Uh, well, the last time I was out there, she said, right here on this spot, right underneath there is where we believe the Holy of Holies is located. 
What's fascinating about that is a guy has done his research and um, it's, it's very probable that you can have the Dome of the Rock here and construct a new temple here and they coincide together. And it would put the Dome of the Rock in the court of the Gentiles. Kind of like what this is saying, okay? So somebody has to come on the scene and, and kind of orchestrate this peace treaty because you're not going to build a temple without somebody coming on the scene uh, to, to kind of, uh, you know, mediate between the Jews and the Muslims this plan. The Jews are ready for the temple. They're ready for the new temple. They, they and I've, I've said this many times, um, the Temple Institute over there has everything that they need to, to run the temple. Um, all they need is for the construction to begin. They have all the instruments. They have all the, the articles of clothing that a priest would need. They have their line of priests already set up. The Cohens. Cohen. Cohen means priest. If your last name is Cohen, they're really interested in you. Okay? So they, they have everything that they could possibly need. A red heifer. They got that. Sacrifice a red heifer. Why? Why the temple? Well, because... Without the sacrifice, without the, the spilling of blood, there is no remission of sin. They need sacrifices, as far as they know, right? Because, well, they don't, right now they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus is the perfect substitute. So they need sacrifice. They, they have to make sacrifices. They have to. So they're ready for a temple. It's going to take somebody, a smooth-talking individual, very charismatic, to be able to step in the middle of that and say, hey, I got an idea. I'll work this deal between you two and uh, we'll build a temple here. You guys can hold on to your thing here. There won't be any overlap at all. Um, you guys can worship where, how you want to here. You guys can continue to worship here. Not that they really worship there in that sense, but you know, the Dome of the Rock is not the top. It, sometimes we think it's like the top holy site for Muslims. It's not. It's not, okay? Um, but this will be a peaceable solution. So the, right here, John is, John is seeing, because when John was writing this, there's no temple. The temple had been destroyed. Rome came in and burned that thing down. And so John, in looking, and he sees, and you know, he was given this measuring rod, and it's like, okay, start measuring the temple, but leave out the court, uh, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles it says they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months or for three and a half years, okay? Three and a half years is very, um, it's, it's, it's a common time frame, within, especially within this chapter. It doesn't matter how it's phrased, whether it's um, uh, 42 months or it says three and a half years or it's this many specific days, that's what we're talking about. So <clears throat> the temple is there, it's established, the outer court has been given to the Gentiles, and now you have these two prophets. So let's talk about these guys, um, these two witnesses, okay? Uh, they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth, 1,260 days. Anybody know how many, what, what's the time frame there? Three and a half years, anybody? Yeah, okay, that's right. You are absolutely right. Um, three and a half years, okay? These guys will be troublemakers for three and a half years. Okay, they're, who are they though? Well, this is where it gets, you know, who, who knows, okay? 
common, the, the, I'll, I'll throw out the common ideas, the common thoughts. Um, the most popular one, I think, is Moses and Elijah, okay? That's the one you're probably going to hear more times than not, Moses and Elijah. You're like, well, now Elijah didn't die. That guy never died. He was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot, okay? Did not die. Moses, well, that guy died. So it may, even Satan was trying to find the bones of Moses, right? Trying to find his body. Why was he so interested in finding Moses' body? Well, there's a few thoughts concerning that. You find the bones of Can you imagine if, they, if somebody discovered the bones of Moses? Oh, man, that's another idol. I mean, we would, I mean, you know, there's tons of people that'd be bowing down at that thing. Um, there's another idea of like, well, if Satan can get maybe his bones, then maybe he's afraid that this is Moses. I tend to agree more so with the, I would go more towards the Moses and Elijah model. Now, there, the other one is this, Elijah, he's kind of the common denominator. Like everybody believes like it's definitely, it's got to be Elijah. The other thought is it's Enoch because that guy never died either. So he walked with God and was no more. He found him in Genesis. So it's like, well, maybe it's him. Um, we, and then the, the other thought is this, it's the church, okay? That's the other thought, right? It's the two common thoughts are Moses and Elijah or these two represent the church. Now you may be thinking like, well, we're pre-trib guys and the church isn't even there. Not everybody believes that. Some people believe that the, well, that the church, that the rapture is a mid-trib type thing. And this is where they get that from. Okay. So you got these guys who are witnessing and there's power and all this stuff. And, you know, they're, they're have a presence on the, on the earth. And then once they're gone, then, you know, really the, the antichrist, even though he's on the scene, I mean, he really comes into full effect once these two guys are gone. I can understand that to a certain extent, but I don't, I don't, theologically, I don't line up with that. I, I'm a pre-trib guy. I don't believe that these guys represent the church. I really believe that these guys are more than likely Moses and Elijah. My thinking on that is this, Mount of Transfiguration, okay? Jesus is up there. He's got his three closest guys, disciples with him, and they identify who the two people are that meet with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Now, they'd never even seen Moses and Elijah because these guys were long gone before the disciples came, were even born. Uh, and so there's a significant event in that, in that time period in the Gospels where Jesus is meeting with Moses and Elijah. And, and I believe it was Peter who was like, whoa, 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 we need to set up some, uh, man, we got to set up some shrines. We got we to gotta build some, some booths here and, you know, make this a really special place. And, and God from heaven's like, uh, <clears throat> Peter, Peter, buddy quit. Just sink before you speak, okay? <laughs> right? Like, no, no, no. It's not about these guys. It's about my son. So that's, that's why a lot of people, when they see this, that they would attribute this to Moses and Elijah. The other strong, I think, stronger evidence concerning that is, well, look what they do. Look what they do. It goes on to say, it says that the two olive trees and two lampstands. Now, the two lampstands reference is why some people would believe this is a reference to the church, okay? Uh, because the lampstands would represent the church. You just go back a few chapters at the beginning of Revelation, and there's golden lampstands, and that were representatives of the church, right? However, uh, 
we've talked about this before, but the church is not mentioned. After, really after chapter five, um, the church is not mentioned again until the end of the book, okay? So the olive trees and the two lampstands, that really goes back into Zechariah. There's a, a Zechariah chapter four, um, I believe. So you got two olive trees, two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Well, that reminds us of Elijah because Elijah had this contest with the priest of Baal um, up on the mountaintop and he built his, his little all, you know, little uh, offering kind of place and had his offering ready to go. And the priests were, they constructed theirs. And he's like, all right, you guys go for it. You know, call upon your God. Let's see whose God is really real. And, um, and so there was that, that incident happened. They were, you know, driving themselves nuts trying to get their God out of the bathroom to uh, answer their prayers. It's literally what it is, what they were saying, uh, or at least that's what Elijah was telling them. And then fire came down and consumed the offering and all this stuff. And Elijah ends up slaughtering these priests, right? Now he does it with the sword and everything. But there's, there's a lot of commonality between this description and Elijah himself, okay? It says, fire proceeds out of the mouth uh, for anyone who wants to harm them. Uh, he must be killed in this manner. And they have the power, here's the other one, the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Well, that's what Elijah did, Okay. He prayed for it not to rain, and it stopped raining. And then he prayed for it to rain, and it started raining, okay? So we've seen these things kind of lived out in Elijah's life. Plus, the nation of Israel has been, I mean, really, Malachi ends with like saying, hey, Elijah, you'll see this guy again. You'll see this guy again, okay? So Israel has been awaiting the return of Elijah, so to speak, okay? So even the nation of Israel... Uh, kind of anticipates Elijah showing back up, right? So there's some similarities there, uh, shutting up the heavens so that there's no rain, there's drought and all that good stuff. They have power, here's the other one. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Well, that's where you get Moses. That's why a lot of people believe Moses, because when Moses was around in Egypt, uh, the Nile was turned into blood, uh, and he was able to um, strike Egypt with plagues. That's why you get this notion that this would be Elijah and this is Moses. Here's the, here's the, the sweetest part about all this. Whether it's Moses and Elijah does not matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, okay? Your access into heaven is not required upon who this is, okay? You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, look, um, man, you were batting a thousand until you got to these two witnesses and then you really blew it. So, you know, you're out. No, that's not how this works, okay? So it's nice to know, but we don't know for sure, okay? We can't say with you know, 100% accuracy or 100% confidence that, yes, this is Moses and Elijah. Nobody can say that. Nobody can. We can have ideas and thoughts and all that good stuff, and that's fine. Here's the most important thing. There's going to be two witnesses roaming around on this planet when everything's going crazy, and they're going to be representing Jesus. That's the most important part about this. You have witnesses and it's through their testimony, verse, verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit 
will make war with them. So this is a reference uh, we get um, from Daniel chapter 7, uh, just to throw some cross-references out there for you, but this, this beast that will ascend from the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them, and they will die, and it'll be broadcast all over the news, all over the news. Um, you know, people, I mean, try, trying to, try figuring out how this worked about, you know, 80 years ago. You're like, how in the world? How will all the world see this? Now we're like, duh. How would the world not see this? Thank you, social media. Thank you, 24-hour news stations that cover this globe. I mean, you can see anything happening on this planet right now nonstop, nonstop. So this is a very real reality for all of us, okay? Which, again, kind of makes us think that well, we certainly are one step closer to maybe seeing these things come to fruition. Not that we'll be around for this, but you get what I'm saying, okay? So the beast comes out of this bottomless pit to make war against them, to overcome them, to kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, which is, I mean, this is where the Lord was crucified. This is Jerusalem. So it's being tagged with these this line of Sodom and Egypt. Why? Well, because of their immorality. Because of their immorality. It's because they are stepping out on God. And it's what they've been known to do. They, Israel has, I mean, rarely has Israel been faithful to God. Rarely. Read your Bible and you'll see this this cycle that happens continually within their lives as a nation, which also just mirrors what happens sometimes within our lives. But this, this label, this great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, this is Jerusalem. So in the, in the, the streets of Jerusalem, these two witnesses fall dead. How are they killed? Don't know. Don't know. Who's behind it? Well, Satan and the Antichrist. That's who's behind it. They're the bad guys of the story. The bees from the bottomless pit. But here's what's, what's interesting is the response from the world. It says, then those from the people, peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, three and a half days, they don't even permit them to be buried. This is a complete desecration of their bodies. This is an absolute, like, we hate these two people this much. We will not even give them the decency of being buried in the ground. We will let their carcasses rot in the street. Why? So we can keep a camera on them 24-7, perpetrating, continuing on, the most satanic Christmas celebration ever, basically. They won't even bury them. They hate them that much. But you note that there's this phrases have, we've, it's not the first time we've seen these phrases where it talks about peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. You've seen that in heaven. You can tell the, the contrast there. When you see that mentioned about people who are in heaven, they're rejoicing, they're celebrating, but not in death but in life. 
And here for these people who have gone through tremendous things, we, we know this, we've been walking through Revelation and so many catastrophic things have happened. And, you know, to top it all off, you got these two witnesses and man, they just won't shut up. They just keep going on and on and talking about Jesus. And anytime you try to harm them, you end up, somebody ends up dying. Like you can't even met, you can't even touch these guys. And finally, finally, they're brought down. And everybody, all the world, it doesn't matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, it doesn't matter what your nationality, it does not matter. Everybody is celebrating that these two troublemakers are now dead. Three and a half days would not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. <laughs> They'll rejoice over them. They're celebrating. They're making merry, so they're technically, that's the biblical way of saying they are partying, and there's always um, excessive drinking that goes along with making merry, okay? I hope you know that. Read through the Bible, and anytime you see making merry, there is an, an abundance and excess of alcohol that is associated with that. Read the book of Esther, okay? They're making merry, and not only that, not only are they celebrating, not only are they rejoicing, they are sending gifts to one another. They're sending gifts to each other, presents. They make this a, not, not even a national holiday, this is a global holiday for three, it's only three and a half days, okay? So how are they sending gifts to each other? Amazon Prime, are you kidding me? Two and two day delivery. Like they are like zipping presents around, all over the world, everybody's getting a gift. Why? What's the celebration? What's, what's it? Is it my, it's not my birthday. I know. But these dudes are dead. These dudes are dead. Well, how do you have money to buy presents? Because a loaf of bread costs a lot of money. You must be really willing to celebrate the death of these two individuals if you're dropping some, well, nobody's using cash at this point in time. It's all like digital currency. I can promise you that. They must have really... Love the fact that these two guys were dead, that if they were willing to spend their own money, which is hard to come by, in exchanging gifts with one another. I mean, that should just clue you into the, the hatred that is here. Uh-oh, three and a half days later. <laughs> there's that, there's that, that number again, three and, a half, three and a half days, okay? So three and a half days later, as everybody is still celebrating, everybody's, you know, just having a grand old time, Something happens. God breathes life into these guys. That's really technically what it's saying. The breath of life from God entered into them. This makes you think back in Genesis chapter one when God formed Adam from the dirt and God breathed life into Adam. God breathes life back into these two witnesses and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Of course, of course, you're there. You know, who knows what the world even looks like at this point in time, but, you know, everything's been damaged, so to speak. I mean, you got trees that have, like, been decimated and fresh water supplies and, and all this stuff, like, just chaos and destruction everywhere. And then you're just trying to, you know, go about your business, you know, resume life as normal, life as usual. And then, are those dudes moving? I saw their chest go up. Wait, they're standing up. They're standing up. That's, this is three and a half days. This is, like you know, medically speaking, you are dead. You're gone. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless.
Jesus is like a fresh wind blowing through a winterized, closed-up cabin that's musty and devoid of company. He changes everything, eliminating the cobwebs that so easily entangle. And as we learn from the book of Revelation, it will one day be the same with this old, sin-filled world that we live in. Everything will be different, and it's going to be better because that's what Jesus does. Today's message isn't the only one that Pastor James Grizzle has taught. To hear others like this one, make sure you go to breadforthebroken.com for more. You know, Satan wants nothing more than to distract you from spending time in God's Word. The question is, will you disappoint him? Will you continue to seek ways to grow closer to Jesus? We hope that today's message has blessed and inspired you. We can't know what season of life you're in, but we trust that Jesus spoke to your heart today through this message, and we hope that you'll be back for more. Would you like to help spread the good news of Jesus? A donation of any size would help us. We're so thankful for those that would support us financially. Find more information at breadforthebroken.com. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Galveston, Texas. Pastor James Grizzle and everyone here is anxious to meet you. So feel free to come either Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. We hope to see you soon. We're just a group of people who are laid back and desire to magnify Jesus at all ages. Be assured there's something here for you too. Come back again for more on Revelation right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.